Welcome to the Gatecast. Presented by Alan and Mike. Lucy, I'm home. I am not Lucy. Oh, you're right. We'll just upload a computer virus into the mothership. I was going to do my living room like this. Well, so my recommendation is that anyone attempting to leave the mountain should be shot on sight. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Stargate Season 8 wrap-up. We are a last guestless, for sorted reasons, which I'm sure I really can't... Like, good evening, everybody. Yeah, we've been spoiled recently, always having, uh, having to actually turn people away who want to be a guest on particular episodes, but tonight, nobody's about yes. either working, sleeping, or real life. However, if you get ten new people to download the podcast, you get a free guest slot. <laughs> hey, what can I say? I'm desperate. Yeah. I didn't actually look at the numbers because I can't remember the login. Well, I have put up a, a little page on the website, the schedule. No date. <laughs> we can't really <laughs> predict that more than a week in advance. But <laughs> at least if you do want uh, an episode, you'll know if it's open or not. If we predict the dates, I won't be available. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, large chunks of August. Well, one particular week in August, anyway. Since one has to go and physically be present in order to register. And also open a bank account. And the other bits and pieces, otherwise won't actually have anything to sleep on on the Friday, which could be awkward. A deadline, a bit of pressure. I like deadlines. I like the washing sound they make as they go by. <laughs> the good news, however, is that Brad has recorded a few thoughts about Season 8 of SG-1. I've split the voice recording up and I'll play it throughout the episode. We'll also include a few promos from podcasts I listen to. And as we're recording this, I'm past the point that I became the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything. If you can't figure that out, you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Not that I'm trying to turn away listeners. Feel free to email us with your guesses. Or just Google it. <laughs> there. See how Chris responds to that one. <laughs> Doesn't give her an opportunity to take me off. Is that the first name? Chris Hamsworth, isn't it? He was Spatterson. Oh, Spatterson. Yeah. Oh, now I... Ah, transcripts. I get wiki, finally. Firefox's a tendency to remember your previous pages, which can be very embarrassing if it's a PC you look at a lot of porn on. <laughs> I'd imagine so. You click plus and it goes, these are the most popular sites on the Close, 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 close. <laughs> Never open a blank tab. I watched a fantastic film the other day. Yeah. I want to know if that qualifies as a dictionary definition of fantastic. What? Well, when you say fantastic, our definitions of fantastic tend to... Ah. <laughs> wildly... Wildly different criteria. <laughs> no, this wasn't a B movie. It had Tom Cruise in it. Oh, so it was a Z movie. <laughs> Oblivion. Hmm. Sci fi. I think I've heard of it. I immediately went to Amazon to see how much the uh, Blu ray cost pre order. Hmm. It was that good. And I looked at it thought, I'm not paying that. And I'll wait a couple more months. Thank you very much. So, how has your dining experience been lately? Uh, waitress! Waitress! Uh, what did he order? Uh, that's what I ordered! I changed my order to the soup! Good move. Oh no. Not again. Well, 
If it's been like that poor fella, then we'd like to suggest the Sci-Fi Diner podcast for great, tasty, and spicy cuisine. Weekly, we offer up top news, interviews, and have great conversations on what's going on in the world of sci-fi. Make your reservation today at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast.com. Check, please. Look at that. We got a tweet from Miles, son of Wolf. I listened to the show. You made us sound brilliant. Excellent editing. I had a lot of fun. Stargate forever. Have you listened to that show? You're not on it, so it's all new to you. Hmm. Good point. No, I just finished Hydrogen Sonata. I'm now listening to Accession. I still have inversions in one of the books to go. Someone pointed out that the end of season eight was the last point that Jack appeared as a series regular. That's right. Does he vanish from the credits? I don't know if he's still kept on in, in the, as a producer role. I imagine he is. Mm. Let's get this on. Come Season opener. New order. Part one. Daniel and Dr. Weir face tough negotiations with you. Amaterasu, who sounds like, I'm sorry, Amaterasu sounds like a dessert. He does a bit. Timurasu. And Camulus, who face annihilation by Ball, and want the super weapon that destroyed Anubis. Carter and Tyrk travel to Hala to seek the Asgard's help in the reviving O'Neill. They find Thor just as the replicators he's guarding escape, beaming Carter aboard their ship. A vengeful, betrayed, teenage, frankly. Fifth, tortures Carter. Thought. This seems so long ago. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I tried to remember anything about it at all. <laughs> We've lost so many system lords, you know, early replicators. You know, you're thinking, was that season eight? Surely not. <laughs> yeah, it was. Kicks off with Elizabeth Weir, although not Elizabeth Weir. She's changed. Yeah, she's the same but different. Yes. They pulled a similar stunt in the American soap uh, Home and Away, where the actress playing one of the main stars went off to do something else, decided she didn't want to come back and they replaced her with someone two inches shorter with different hair. I remember when they did that in Roseanne as well. The daughter <laughs> changed actresses after about four or five years or something. Hmm. I suppose if it was a Cosby show, it would have been more obvious. I imagine they'd have gone someone of the same ethnic background. Not necessarily. <laughs> I suppose not. Anyway, we're digressing a bit. We digress because you can't remember the episode. Well, it's a fun episode, because when you get Jack and the System Lords all in one place, you know, you always are going to have fun. As we said, Hammond has retired. Jack's taken over. The Stargate Atlantis program is just kicking off with Elizabeth Weir. And basically, fun and games. The episode was initially broadcast July the 9th, 2004, written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully, directed by Andy Makita. And New Order Part 1 got three votes. Only three? For New Order. I can't even remember what I voted for in truth. It'll probably come to you in time. Mm, probably not. <laughs> come try ya! Moving on to New Order Part 2. Carter's ideal life with Pete has been engineered by Fifth, who claims to love her. Thor interfaces O'Neill with his ship's computer, enabling him to build a weapon to destroy the replicators overrunning Asgard colony Orilla. Fifth escapes, leaving Carter behind. O'Neill takes command of the SGC. Fifth is joined by a newly conscious Yonoid replicator. Replicator. I like Replicator. What isn't there to like? She's Carter's evil twin. As evil twins go, I'm sorry, still beaten hands down by my favourite science fiction evil twin. Who's that? Mirror Darkly Universe, Kira. Oh, yes. You know, sorry, she's got that S&M thing going on. It's just sexy as hell. <laughs> you just want to polish her, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Let me buff this up a bit. Well, it polishes a unit for what I think it is. <laughs> well, she wears a shiny BBC leather outfit, doesn't she? You just want to take a bit of Miss Jean and a, a dutter to her. 
Yeah, but she carries it off a lot better than Carrie Ann Moss. Well, I think I think the intent Carrie Ann Moss in Matrix was never really to emphasise that part of the potential character, whereas Kira was <laughs> very much a predator. Wow. <laughs> Definitely, cat like the fact that she was completely batshit crazy didn't hurt. Yeah. Once again, we digress. <laughs> we get Thor beaming up Jack into the computer as they build the, the Asgard weapon. It looks a bit like one of the guns in Halo. It does. It seems ridiculously over the top. <laughs> well, it's Jack. I mean, if Jack designed it, it's going to be yeah. ridiculously Jack, the Jeremy Clarkson of the SGC. <laughs> yeah, why not? Wheels on it. I can drive it around BBC <laughs> Centre. No worries. So, yes, a replicator who basically screws fifth at some point. Not in the literal sense. Of course, we do get uh, David DeLuise in this episode as well, playing Pete Shanahan in the kind of a dream sequence, mm. where Fifth is trying to encourage Sam that uh, she's living in a, a nice, wonderful world where they can live happily ever after. And now my metal jukebox has flicked to Louis Armstrong. Are <laughs> they suitable? Indeed, what a wonderful world. And we also get a brief appearance by James Bamford, stunt coordinator for Atlantis. He plays the Replicator 8 who does battle on Thor's ship. I think he's the first victim of the new uh, Asgard weapon. Yes. I'm melting. <laughs> Didn't even get time to say that. I just zap. Way. Nothing can stop us now. Yeah, he sort of blinks, looks around, goes, ooh, I, ah. <laughs> sort of uh, the equivalent of, oh, shit. Daniel Tilk and Jack beam down to uh, the Asgard homeworld, start to havoc and mayhem, yeah, until Fifth yeah. actually threatens them. You know, I've got Amanda. Not Amanda, I've got Sam. Mm-hmm. He finally, you know, gives air up and decides to build his own model. Model. Yes. Poor deluded fool. It was okay in, in, until he taught her everything. Then she got that independent streak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor lad. It's a shame, though. We got naked Daniel on numerous occasions. We never got naked Tom. Well, he was naked and gooed up. He just didn't see everything. There was less skin. Daniel ne- never worried. You know, he got a full side shot with Daniel. His, <laughs> mm. his arm strategically placed. Ah, uh, yes. So what you're saying is Daniel had a strategic arm streak. <laughs> New Order Part 2 was broadcast uh, alongside New Order Part 1 as a double feature in the US, also on July the 9th. This was written by Rob C. Cooper, though, the second part, directed by Andy Makita as well. No votes for this episode. I assume people treated it as a single episode, so voted just for the one. Mm. It did get nominated for a Gemini Award for Best Visual Effects. Did not win it. Appropriate. It's a two-part episode for a Gemini Award. Yes. <laughs> I can make an astrology joke if I want to. Of course you can. So, tell me, how does the fact that Pluto's no longer a planet fit in with your strategy? <laughs> Come try ya! Let's go on to a lockdown. A Russian officer arrives at the SGC and falls ill. He infects Daniel, causing him to become violent. Daniel recovers and identifies the illness as possession by Anubis. This guy just won't die. Who is alive and wants to escape Earth through the Stargate. In spite of the SGC's effort to contain him, Anubis manages to escape in the dying body of the Russian officer, but Carter makes sure he's sent to a desolate ice planet. Not a bad episode. It started off well. I mean, the CGI of uh, the space station and the wreckage of Anubis' ship, that looked fantastic. You like anything in space. Well, that's true, I do, yeah. <laughs> the highlight of this episode for me was Gavin Hood who played Colonel Alexei Vasilov. You think, oh, just an actor, you know. Uh, but then you look at his IMDb page. He's an Oscar-winning director. He's just finished Ender's Game, probably coming out, I'm not sure, either late this year or sometime next year. He also did X-Men Origins Wolverine, 
project, which I believe was uh, basically executive produced Bush and entirely at the instigation of Hugh Jackman. That's a man who looked at the character and thought, hmm, I play this right, I could spin this for a while. <laughs> well, the latest one looks okay, at least from the trailers that I've seen. Yes, I'm still convinced my local cinema will open on or about 7th of September. You know, roughly one week before I leave. Yeah, right. Yay, cinema's open. Yes. <laughs> At that point, I'll be down to enough clothes for a week, <laughs> which I'll recycle. Yeah, after the initial CGI effects, we get kind of a little bottle show centred on the SGC as Anubis flip, flips, flicks, flips, flickers. Flits. Flits, that's the word. Flits between different hosts, a nurse, Daniel, and a few others. Mm. A nice little atmospheric episode, written by Joseph Melozzi and Paul Mully, directed by Will Waring. Conforms to any number of folks. Yeah, it does, yeah. It was broadcast July the 23rd, and it got three votes. Mm. Oh, yeah, let's not forget, Jack tried to blow the base up. Yay. <laughs> well, they'd just taken over, he had to do it in the first few episodes, or he'd lost the respect of his fellow officers. Quite right. If you don't try to blow the base up in the first six months, we take away the keys. Mm-hmm. On the subject of taking away the keys, we come to Zero Hour. In his difficult early days commanding the SGC, reluctant General Jack O'Neill is faced by every form of catastrophe known to man, from incarcerated aliens to bunting crises. A kidnapped SG-1 team and the predations of Opportunity System Lord Ball, a new administrative sidekick and a looming visit from President Henry Hayes. Somehow it all works out. And General O'Neill passes the trial by fire. Wasn't trial by fire a Babylon 5 episode title? It sounds familiar. Doesn't it? A fun episode, if only for the Jack Ball interactions. Yes. We get the traditional three days to go, two days to go, one day to go, zero hour. Mm-hmm. What's going on? What's going on? And of course, you're suspicious of Mott Gilmore, his aide, who turns out to be a kind of a CIA or Secret Service operative. Mm-hmm. Doing a, a report on Jack, see if he's a fit for man. The dreaded performance evaluation. <laughs> and it all boils down to a visit by the president. Yes. Doesn't really go according to plan, as you say. Uh, <laughs> Cliff Simon has a bell, and he always knows where to stick it, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know several people that would like Cliff Simon to stick it. <laughs> this is also the alien plant as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Dr. Lee brings a few seeds back. <laughs> oh, this it grows quickly. It could solve the hunger crisis. Except for the fact that A, we can't eat it, and B, we can't stop it. <laughs> when you saw Sala running around with a flamethrower, you go, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice, that was a, almost a C story, that we did have multiple sort of things going on. You kind of threw everything to keep Jack busy, didn't it? Yeah. Well, otherwise, I mean, Jack kind of reminds me of Bruce Boxleitner around season four. You know, it's like, a, I imagine, as my friend's character says, I imagine you sitting on a beach with nothing to do. This vision of you always ends with your head exploding. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jack can do nothing successfully, as we have evidence from the fish, you know? To be fair, nothing Jack did would have altered that. But uh, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and they'll sit in a boat and drink beer all day. <laughs> a boat named Homer. Mm. Well, better than a boat named Orca. <laughs> true, true. They needed a bigger boat. <laughs> Yeah, uh, in this episode, SG-1 minus Jack are stuck on an alien world, and that's when Bol appears. I've got your friends. And nobody actually ever asked which ones. Mm-hmm. And of course, Camulus, played by Steve Basic, he's doing the martyr routine, then he's throwing himself on Bol's mercy, but then again, walking around in those clothes, you expect. Mm-hmm. Barbarian uh, system lord he was. Oh. 
I have pointy stick. Yep. The story was by, oh sorry, written by Rob C. Cooper, directed by Peter West. Cliff Steinman starred, also Colin Cunningham made an appearance as Major Davis. Broadcast July the 30th, and it got two votes. Oh. Come try ya! Right then, up next, Icon. A human's arrival on a planet sparks a religious uprising that becomes a world war. Trapped while trying to stop it, Daniel Jackson takes refuge with the alien woman Lida. The FCC finally reaches Daniel by radio and he's just a plan to overcome the religious zealots. With Lida's people, Daniel and the SG team succeed in ending the war, but millions of people have already died. Really? Millions? Well, yeah, you'd think so. I mean, it is a, it is a world war after all. Yeah, probably not for a couple of weeks. They didn't, they didn't go nuclear, I don't think they could. Well, probably talking riots in the streets as the different religious and other factions faced off. So the death toll could uh, rapidly escalate. Hmm. Traditional military jumped in as well. Before long, you've got devastated cities, refugees, a bit of uh, starvation, uh, disease. Yep. Yeah, pleasing thought. That's all SG-1's fault as well. Literally, all their fault. Yeah, it's rare we get to blame them to this extent, isn't it? Yeah, normally they have a hand in problems, but never quite as bad as this. The main guest star for this episode was Matthew Bennett, who was Cylon in Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Which Cylon? Aaron Dorrell. He was the reporter. We knew he was a Cylon right from the word go. I'm just reminded of that brilliant line by Dean Stockwell's character. Such a guy isn't a Cylon. Why not? Because I'm one and I haven't seen him at any of the meetings. <laughs> he had actually confessed at that point. Then when the reveal came along, you're thinking, ooh, clever. Ah. Uh, Still, didn't really uh, have any lasting impact. No, they, they never really made the most of it. It could have been a much bigger story. Jiangxi got his bitter, well, he was really moving in on his on the bloke's wife. Yeah, he was. Or she took a fancy to him. Either way, you know, it wasn't wasn't exactly kosher, was it? Well, no. Written by Damien Kindler, directed by Peter West, broadcast August the 6th, and did not get any votes. No. Come try ya! Moving on to... Avatar. Thank you. The Gamekeeper's virtual reality technology enables Teok to enter a virtual SGC where he can battle Anubis the super soldiers. Teok tries over and over to defeat the warriors, but, sensing his real doubts, the game will not let him win or leave. With Teok's life in danger, Daniel enters the game and uses a precognition sheet to help Teok win, freeing them both. That's not a revealing synopsis at all, is it? That's basically <laughs> the entire episode. Might as well just plaster the whole thing with the word spoiler. The most thing most frustrating thing about this episode was I was thinking, great, first person shoot rest you one. No, not quite. <laughs> I wanted one. I think everybody did. A lot of people still do. To be honest, it was a clever, a clever little episode. You know, the game graphics was done by the same company that was supposedly doing the main game. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't. It just wasn't a great episode, was it? It was just, just okay. I think I'm more of a game player than you are. I think I enjoyed it more. Yeah. No, I was like, want game, want game. No game? That's oh, sad. There's a difference between wanting the game and actually watching the episode. I've watched other people game. Still stuck in the gaming chair. Daniel goes in to help him just because he gets a two-second buffer where for two seconds he can tell the future. Mm-hmm. Bit by bit, they get a hang of it and uh, eventually till acknowledges the fact that he could lose. That actually allows him to win. Mm-hmm. The main guest for this episode was Andrew Early. He has been in Stargate before. He played Kalan in Learning Curve. Probably better known for guest starring in the 4400, starring in Intelligence and Defying Gravity. Also, the father in Reaper. I must watch the end of that. Which one? Defying Gravity. Avatar was written by Damien Kindler, directed by Martin Wood. Broadcast August the 13th, 
and got zero votes. Really? Really. Guess I didn't vote for it. <laughs> you didn't vote for that one then. <laughs> Hello, Alan and Mike, and the rest of the Gatecast community. Brad here from Australia. Back again with my thoughts on Series 8 of SG1 on a whole. New Order Part 1 and 2 was a good opening to the season. Good stuff in there for the Asgard. Cool coming to Earth, and we get to see the beginnings of Replicata. A lockdown just goes to prove that Anubis isn't as hard to kill as we first thought. Zero hour, Jack really feels the burden of command, and um, there's some good little character moments in that. Icon, probably one of the weaker episodes of the series, where we see Daniel stranded off-world again. Avatar was a good tilk episode. He really gets down the dumps in this episode, and um, it just makes me want to hope and pray one day for a proper Stargate MMO. Come try ya! Affinity. When Teok moves into an apartment off base, his attempts to build a life as a regular human being are thwarted when he becomes embroiled in the troubles of his new neighbour. Carter is wondering about her life and future with Pete. Can she involve Pete in the risk she takes? Drop off a baby in daycare before gating off into the unknown. What? She was thinking ahead then, wasn't she? Bloody hell. <laughs> Come on, let's face it. We all know Pete were just looking for opportunity to retire and be a house husband. Yes. I liked Affinity. It was a lot of fun. I like Krista. Well, Erica Durant, can't really blame you. Yeah. She looked better in this episode than she ever did in Smallville. Tilt finds out that his neighbour, Krista, has got a bit of an abusive boyfriend, who then turns Mm. up dead. Yes. Unluckily for Tilt, he's been spied upon by the Trust. Ah. The Trust get away because they've got beaming technology. Mm -hmm. Cheating, that is. Sam says yes. For now. For now. (laughs) But Pete... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but on the bright side, uh, as Sam's boyfriend's go, he's doing well. He is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he survived nearly ten episodes. Yep. And a season he, finale. He got to have breakfast with her quite often. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's not a euphemism. <laughs> it was written by Peter DeLuise, directed by Peter DeLuise. It was broadcast August the 20th. Got two votes, and it got a nomination for a Leo Best Dramatic Series Screenwriting. Come try ya! Covenant. When charismatic billionaire Alec Colson threatens to expose the existence of alien life to the world, Carter attempts to intervene and convince him the Stargate program is worthy of secrecy and of his protection. However, a secretive organization known as The Trust has its own agenda to discredit and silence Colson at all costs. Yeah, his, his mate, his supposed best mate, an accountant type guy, sells him out. You know, I saw a lot of parallels between this and the American iteration of Primeval. Uh, I haven't seen it, so explain. The whole sort of... The company basically goes down the pan because the uh, brilliant genius who's running it is more interested in pursuing his own personal project and obsessions than he is in actually making the company work business-wise. Ah, right. Yeah, Brian Vogler is Alec Coulson, second-in-command. Kind of sees companies in a bad position. He does some shady things financially. The trust are able to blackmail him. And when push comes to shove, uh, Coulson hasn't got a leg to stand on. Although it doesn't help that Thor helps out a bit. Mm. <laughs> a bit of holographic trickery to uh, yes. fool the masses. Interesting step that the public do get a glimpse of what's going on. And, well, <laughs> they don't believe it. Well, of course they don't. And yet they're quite happy to believe Derek Akora. The episode was a story by Ron Wilkinson. Uh, written by Ron Wilkinson, Robert E. Cooper and directed by Martin Wood. The main star, Charles Shaughnessy, uh, you may know him better from The Nanny, mm-hmm. or not. I think he's in one of the big American soaps as well. Well, he's a reasonably successful Englishman in the US, you know, yeah. getting on a soap and <laughs> playing. 
Guess what song's in my head now? Go on. Sting. Oh, okay. You know which one of is it? Yes, I do. Broadcast August the 27th, and it got a single vote. Yes. Did we not get many votes in this poll? Or did something get like 50? <laughs> one episode got quite a few. We'll get to it in a bit. Uh, Another episode, though, where they never went back to this character. They set him up off-world, you know, oh, you can do all the research and development, you know, money's no object. People will think you're dead, they'll stop looking for you, but never went back to him. But not to worry. Sacrifices. Subtitle, Teok gets on. <laughs> Teok's the reunion with Master Braytak, Son Ryak, and warrior leader Ishtar. Wow is fraught with danger and difficulty. Ishtar's determination to overthrow the ghoul Moloch before he can murder more of her sisters leads to her capture and torture at his hands, while Teok's son, Ryak, has chosen to marry without his father's blessing. Okay, it was a lot soapy. Yeah, very much a family relationship type episode. Mm, I'm sorry, if the average science fiction fan could have successful family relationships, they wouldn't be watching this stuff. <laughs> I think it's rather cruel to torture sort of uh, lonely uh, people who have difficulty relating to members of the opposite sex with this kind of happy family. It wasn't all happy families. You know, they had to jump a few hurdles. Or hoops. <laughs> well, yes, there were plenty of hoops, weren't there? You know. I had to let that one in. <laughs> Tilk and Ishtar, uh, they have a few issues early on. You know, Tilk seriously disapproves. In fact, when the wedding rehearsal totally falls apart, we see Tilk in the background, grinning <laughs> like a big Cheshire cat. Yeah. That was beautiful. You will respect him. No, I won't. He's going to earn my respect. Woman. Oh, dear. <laughs> Poor Ryak. He, uh... <laughs> it just really goes downhill from there. What is it? Braytac just grabs his wine, and this is why we have rehearsals. Glug. <laughs> a fun episode. It looked good. There were horses. We meet a new system lord, Moloch, played by Royston Innes, who's wonderfully maliciously evil. Mm-hmm. Puts a boot in a few times when Ishtar's on the ground. A couple of notable guest stars, Jolene Blalock, of course, playing Ishtar, Tony Amendola, Noah Danby, playing Chara. If you don't know him, he's in Defiance, playing Sukar. The white guy? No, he's, uh, you know, the orange skin leader who dies and comes back and dies and comes back. Oh, him, yeah. Him, yeah. I'm not quite sure if he's alive or dead. It's one of the puzzles. Mm. Oh, you had to say he was the Arathi. Sorry. <laughs> I thought just telling you it's Sukar. Names. I don't remember names. Races, oddly enough, yes, but names, no. You remember his race? Yeah, I remember his race, but that's not a name. That's different. It's apparently classified differently. Okay, then. The episode ends on a on a high note. Uh, Ryak does uh, marry Karen. I want to see Grandpa Teok. Yeah, there was room for Grandpa Teok. That would have been fun. A zat in one hand, the baby bouncing on his armour on the other. Like, the baby's crying. Uh, you know, like, it won't go to sleep. <laughs> sleep now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit brutal. <laughs> Written by Christopher Judge, directed by Andy Makita. Broadcast September the 10th. It did not get any votes. Advert take one. (laughs) (laughs) Director Clark. Can I just ask, where's my motivation coming from for this advert? (laughs) The fist that's shaking at you right now. (laughs) Advert take two. Hello, I'm Mike. I'm Sina. And I'm Dave. (laughs) Oops. Daddy doesn't say that any. Okay, let's start again. take three. Hello, I'm Mike. I'm Cena. I'm still laughing. <laughs> Alright, let's, let's start again. Hello, I'm Mike. I'm Cena. And I'm Dave. We're from the holodeck. 
We're a show that explores the Star Trek universe through comics, animation, and interviewing those who make it all possible. Listen to us every Saturday on Stitcher, iTunes, and at the Trekmate Family Network at trekmatefamily.com. Why, guys, do you think they bought it? I don't think they're going to believe that we have a chick that likes comic books. These people are just going to think we're a cooking show. Oh, shut up, Dave. Endgame. In the heist to end all heights, end quote. The Stargate is missing. The SG-1's investigations point to a shadowy trust conspiracy. The trust operatives are using the Stargate to launch missiles armed with symbiote poison. Duke discovers thousands of Jaffa have been massacred. While Daniel and Carter tried to stop the trust murdering more innocents in their vicious war. Ah, yes. The episode where Walter loses a Stargate. Oopsie. Priceless, that was. Mm-hmm. You want a cup of coffee? Yeah, no worries. Ooh. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can see the expression, the sort of, how much trouble am I in now? I didn't do it. <laughs> you were there when I left. This is why the Trust want whatever it was decoded, access to the beaming technology. They got a bloke on the inside that they could use to place tracking devices so they could accurately lock onto the Stargate. They find out who was uh, the inside man, a scientist from Area 51. He's English, so obviously he's also in the show stupid. He's running straight to the Trust, where he's followed. Sam's decked out in all leather. She gets kidnapped. Maybe she was practising for playing replica character in the following episode. Maybe, you never know. We meet a, a new Tokra, played by Brandy Ledford, in an excellent outfit. <laughs> At times, they can do the costuming right. I saw nothing wrong with Freya's costuming. I've said it before, it was awful costuming. You've got a Vanessa Angel, so you put her in that stuff. No! <laughs> it was interesting and revealing. Yeah. Tilk is on another world, meeting this Tokra. The missiles are fired through the Stargate. Thousands of Jeffar start dying. The Tokra starts dying. Mazel, played by Mark Gibbon. He dies as well. He died free, which is important when you... Free! It seems important to them. Me, I'd rather have... Sod this, quick, run to the gate. Hold your breath. Live in captivity or die free? I'm yeah. going to go live for the time being. <laughs> you go die free. I'm going to stay here and uh, you know, eat my three squares. I wonder what panda would say. Free bamboo and uh, every now and again a female panda. Don't know what to do with her, but... <laughs> I, can, I can ignore her. A female panda I can ignore. Yeah. Not too bad an episode. It was a very interesting idea by the Trust to use the symbiote poison to basically dot genocide against any Jafar was, anywhere. Wasn't he captured in this? Well, he was technically captured so he could yeah. get taken to the Tokra, who was playing mm. part of a, a trusted Gwold. Who then goes and kills over. Everybody on the planet except Tilk. Mm-hmm. Which, fortunately for him, he's, he's on the Tritonan now, so nothing to worry about in that respect. I'm alive, but I'm going to starve now. Bye. <laughs> Endgame, written by Joseph and Paul, directed by Peter DeLuise. Notable guest stars, as I said, Brandy Ledford, uh, Mark Gibbon. We've got Colonel Pierce back again, played by Rob Lee. Colonel Pendergrass is back, he's Prometheus Commander, played by Barclay Hope. And again, they had a chance to shoot the cargo ship, mm-hmm. and they waited for an actual command. Can I shoot? Wait for it. Shoot. Why didn't you shoot straight away? Mm-hmm. You'd have got him, or her in that case. Broadcast September the 17th, and it got a single vote. Okay. It ramped up the threat of the trust, though. You know, mm. they probably did more damage than the NID did in four or five years. <laughs> They're proper bad guys. Yeah. Come try ya. Gemini. Carter's replicator double contacts the SGC, requesting they terminate her existence because Fifth is on his way to the Milky Way. 
Carter and Teal interrogate Ripley Carter at the Alpha site, revealing that Fifth has developed an immunity to disrupt their gun. Can Replica Carter help Carter calibrate the disruptor before Fifth arrives? Ah, betrayal, I feel thy sweet, bitter sting. <laughs> it was an epic betrayal as well, you know. Please, can I come to your world so you can kill me? You know, uh, okay, let's talk to her first. No, let's kill her. No, we'll talk to her. What could go wrong? If she says anything wrong, we'll kill her. Hmm. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh, I saw this one coming. <laughs> The one weapon that the replicators are totally afraid of. Let me run tests on it to determine how we could kill Fifth. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me take these sensor readings. <laughs> it was nice. You know, they uh, did the professional part, complicated part, having two Amanda tappings on screen very well, using mm-hmm. a variety of effects. And clothing. Split screens, body doubles, all that sort of thing. And costume changes. Probably, yeah. Didn't actually get to see the costume changes in transition, did they? <laughs> no. Well, you can't have everything, can you? We got to see uh, Replicata really kick ass when uh, the power went down. She beat about half the staff of the uh, Alpha site, <laughs> even Tilk. An epic tug of war through the Stargate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and eventually just surrendered an arm. Yeah, you want my arm that bad? Have it. <laughs> Jukes are standing there, literally holding his hands. Yep. And of course, poor Fifth, who uh, thought he was a mastermind for this whole project. No better, you can't outmaster a woman. No, she turned on him. The weapon was fired, he got vaporised, and she sailed off into the distance. Indeed. Yes. Michael Shanks, he was the voice of Thor, even though I don't think he appeared as himself in the episode. Mm-hmm. Took him a paycheck. Oh, yes. This was in the middle of when they were filming two, or even sometimes three episodes at the same time, so actors appeared in one episode because they were filming another one. <laughs> it all worked out okay. Stargate, I think, after a few years, really knew how to manage the money and get the most out of every dollar spent. Indeed. Gemini, written by Peter DeLuise, directed by Will Waring, notable guest star, the other Amanda Tapping, <laughs> and Patrick Courier's fifth, broadcast December the 14th, and got no vote. Uh-huh. So, Brad, what did you think? Infinity, Tilk finally gets off base in the second Tilk episode of the season. Finally, after eight years, he's allowed off base into his own place. Some good lines, but probably just one of the filler episodes for the series. Covenant, and it's about time someone found out about everything. Still a bit hard to believe that the word of this hasn't got out yet. There's some good visuals, and for once, an alpha base doesn't get blown up at the end of it. Sacrifices, what can I say, horses in the gate room. Uh, some good stuff with Jack again. Endgame, good little episode with Stargate stolen. The introduction to the Trust, even though we know there's sort of been floating around the background for a while now. And they're using a symbiote poison to kill Jafar Worlds. Sort of an all-or-none proposition there. Gemini, Replicata on the scene. Like I said, most of my thoughts during the episode on that one. Once again, the arrogance of the humans to think that they can take her out whenever they want to. They get in a real bad situation here, and it sort of carries on for the rest of the season. Okay then, brace yourself. Prometheus Unbound. General Hammond and the crew of the Prometheus are stranded on a failing Al-Kesh when the mysterious alien rebel Vala steals the Prometheus and Daniel Jackson. Daniel and Vala battle for control of the ship. Will Daniel be swayed by Vala's claims to need Prometheus to help her and battle people who are facing annihilation by Baal? I think he might be persuaded by and swayed by something entirely different. <laughs> I, I may have voted for this. Oh, did you? I probably <laughs> did, thinking about it. 
So far, anyway, it's definitely my favourite episode of the season of the ones we cover. It's just fun. Sometimes we record and I'm sitting there, because even when I come up this evening, because I'm not in the best mood, but came across this episode and it felt like it was at 10 minutes long. I mean, and is subtitle of this episode, is Daniel gay? No, he's not, because if you recall, when uh, Valor straddled him and she looked down, I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was something going on in his pants. <laughs> and that wasn't a Zat gun. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, the Prometheus. Let's all go to the Pegasus Galaxy. Come on, Daniel. Yippee! <laughs> and they kind of... Oh, look. <laughs> a distress signal. Oh, come on, let's investigate. Whoa, look what happens. Everybody ends up on the damaged Alkesh, and poor Daniel's left all by himself with his leather-clad cool warrior <laughs> who whips off a helmet, long black hair, very nice. Claudia Black. Didn't we get that was reference there? And you kind of short for a cool warrior? If we did, we mentioned it during the uh, regular episode, I'm sure. I'm sure we did. But yeah, that was fun. It was a fun episode. Fantastic fight scene. Mm-hmm. Totally over the top. Both gave as good as they got, right down to the fire extinguisher. <laughs> Inspired. <Plunk. laughs> yep. Daniel not only hitting a woman, punching a woman. Mm. <laughs> Which, unfortunately with Valor, you know, kind of turns her on a bit. <laughs> Fairness to Claudia, who I could quite happy to listen to read the phone book. She's got a lovely voice. I think she really sort of let herself go to do things that she couldn't do as Aaron. This is sort of Aaron's son with a slightly nuts twist. From a, a physical point of view, Aaron's son in Farscape did pretty much everything. But she never had that happy-go-lucky, uh, reckless, throw-caution-to-the-wind approach that Valor has. Nope. Valor can leave Daniel completely gobsmacked and she loves it. Yeah. You know, this isn't objectifying. This is her basically knowing full well that she's a woman and she's in control and she just leaves him sitting there sort of going, where? <laughs> yep, and what happens at the end? Escorted to the brig. Guard the brig. That ain't going to work. And sure enough, alarm start going off. Oh, she's ringed to a ship and fire at it. I'm waiting for your order, sir. Boom, she's gone. <laughs> not firing as soon as possible allows not the bad girl, but the uh, interesting girl to yeah, get if away. If they blew her up, we wouldn't have any star of season 9 and 10. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> You can't blow up Valor, she's too sexy. <laughs> Written by Damien Kindler, directed by Andy Makita. As we said, notable guest stars Claudia Black and the return of Donis Davis, fresh from Homeworld Command. Mm-hmm. Broadcast December the 21st, and it got 20 votes. Ooh. Very popular episode. So, Brad, what did you think? Prometheus Unbound. Introduction of Valor. Some great, great chemistry between her and Daniel. Good one-liners. Prometheus is stolen on its way to... Pegasus Galaxy, good to see Don S. Davis in control of it once again after Lost City, and it was good to know that Valor was going to return for season 9 and 10. Moving on. Moving on. Contraya! It's good to be king. The irrepressible Harry Mayborn is living like a king, literally. The self-styled ruler's native idol is rudely interrupted, first by the arrival of General Jack O'Neill in SG-1, then by Trilac, yeah, another new guild, first prime to Lord Ares. The ghoul laying claim to Harry's lands, and to his people. With Daniel and Teok undercover in the royal court, and the wily Melbourne out with them all. I think this is a definite sort of redemption for Harry. He really doesn't do anything wrong. And what's more importantly, he acknowledges the fact that maybe he's gone too far, you know. It surprises even him when his people, his subjects, actually point out to him that forget all this prophecy stuff. He's brought them simple ideas that are mm. run-of-the-mill on the earth which have made their world and their lives much, much better. So they actually, he's like, oh, you mean 
they're grateful to him for stuff he's done for them and he realises, oh, maybe I'm not a bad guy after all. Yeah, there's a reason why he's got so many handmaidens who don't seem to mind being handmaidens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an honour to uh, be the handmaiden of King Arkin the First. Yes, right. I don't think King Harry quite would. <laughs> oh, good, you got that. I was a pause <laughs> when you processed that. I was thinking, is he going to notice? <laughs> it was a fun episode. Jack and Harry, chemistry between the two characters is always fantastic. Once again, SG-1 gets surrounded by people with primitive weapons and... Doesn't kill them all. So many times you think, hang on, you've got Kevlar armour and P90s. Stop letting yourself get surrounded by primitives with slingshots, please. Well, Kevlar might stop a bullet. It probably wouldn't stop a bladed weapon. As was pointed out in the second Batman movie. Even a, a gold personal shield won't stop a bladed weapon and thrown at a significantly low velocity. Tom McBeath, I remember somewhere actually said how he likes it pronounced. The Scottish actor? Yeah. <laughs> Tom McBeath as King Harry... Wayne Brady played Trellac, the first Prime. He's an American performer. He's got his own uh, chat show and been on soaps and whatnot. Story was by Michael Greenberg, Peter Delouise, Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully. Written by Joe and Paul, directed by William Geraghty. Broadcast January the 4th, and it got five votes. Yay. Hey, Brian. I expected it to get more. On the plus side, though, it got three Leo nominations. Dramatic series, best cinematography for Jim Menard. Dramatic Series Best Costume Design by Christine Mooney, and Dramatic Series Best Supporting Performance by a male Tom McBeath. Mm-hmm. And again, just nominations. Stargate gets a lot of nominations, doesn't win that many. Oh. But fantastic episode, that was lots of fun. And we bid a farewell to Harry Mayborn. Bye bye. Come try ya! Full alert. Relations between the U.S. and Russia are strained, with Russians believing the U.S. administration is compromised. Daniel travels to Moscow to meet with them, but is disdained for questioning and a blood sample. The Russians have good reason. They've captured an American assassin, former Vice President Kinsey, who's definitely not himself these days. If there's ever a marriage made in heaven, it's Kinsey and the Gould. I said it at the time, I say it again now. Yeah, it's hard to tell who's in charge. <laughs> yeah, who's <laughs> enjoying it more. <laughs> I'd like to give you a healing and an elongated life. Let's go for it. If anything, yeah. the ghoul might kind of think, you know what, I'm going to take a different host. I'm not actually comfortable here. Yeah, this was a clever episode. It kind of piggybacked onto the escape of the trust in the Elkesh a couple of episodes ago and theorised... Go on, sorry. As I said, it felt like they'd written enough for another... 30 minutes or so, and the last five minutes felt very, very, very rushed. Yeah. They're really like, uh, it was build, 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 and then, oh crap, we've only got five minutes left. I'd say it ran long by at least 10 minutes. I'd say there's a huge amount of stuff packed out. I'm sorry, it was poorly edited. Just basically, it didn't, all this good stuff, and then either release an extended version, or, I mean, it's the main reason I did like it, but it's the main reason I didn't vote for it, because I just felt that it was the last five minutes, everything suddenly resolved itself with remarkable speed. International politics doesn't work like that. Yeah, normally it'd take you five minutes just to get through on the hotline. <laughs> no, this is not blockbuster video. Your call is important to us. <laughs> if, if you're in danger of nuclear destruction, press one. <laughs> if you'd like this in Spanish, press two. <laughs> Spanish? <laughs> Bringing Russia up. <laughs> Derailed you there, haven't I? No, Homer, just give me a notification. On uh, Tapped Out. <laughs> the great Ronnie Cop making his last appearance as Senator Kinsey, ex-Vice President Kinsey. My day with a high or a low from Ronnie's perspective. We got a guest appearance by Mike Dopo as well. He uh, appears quite often in various series and episodes of Stargate. He's also been in Continuum. 
in a new show called Mistresses, which I haven't seen yet. Might be interesting, I don't know. Mm. It was an interesting episode because it carried on the theme of the trust and the idea that a system lord had captured the trust, sent them back, infiltrated Russia, planted the idea that the Americans' administration had been taken over by Gould. Mm -hmm. And, I don't know, let's just get American Russia to nuke themselves and then the Earth is, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about them anymore. And Daniel gets sent to Russia again, makes a friend, Captain Daria Veronikova, mm -hmm. played by Francois Robertson. i got to say, Daniel probably gets laid more than any character in this show. Or has more opportunities to. Yes. <laughs> Daniel's a good boy. Why? <laughs> I'm not sure. Who's <laughs> being a good boy for the memory of his wife? Get over it. She died four seasons ago. Well, you probably saw Dill shacking up with that woman an episode after his wife died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ended well. thought, That's not right. <laughs> yeah, let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> Full Alert, written by Joseph Paul, directed by Animikita. Broadcast January the 11th, and it got no votes. Come try ya! Citizen Joe. This one I think I did vote for. Oh. I'm certain it was this one, because I like this one. You didn't vote for Mutius Unbound, then? I'm fairly certain I voted for this instead. Okay. I like our former episodes. Yeah. Well, this is very different, isn't it? Seven years ago, Joe, bracket Dan Castellana, bracket, a happily married middle-class father, picked up an odd-looking stone marked with strange glyphs at a garage sale. Ever since, he's been seeing visions of a top-secret Air Force unit commanded by Jack O'Neill, who leads SG-1 team through an ancient portal called the Stargate. Joe's obsession with SG-1 ruins his life, and he's out for revenge. No, he's not. He's out for answers, not really revenge. I, I'd have tagged that as, and is married. But I genuinely, I have to say, for a thing a brilliant, brilliant appearance by Dan, because to be honest with you, I really felt for Joe on this. Oh, it, it was excellent performance. You know, in a single episode, as a guest star, as guest stars go, he got a ton of screen time. You know, he got virtually all the original footage. Well, you think about it, you know, uh, his small circle at his barber shop and his wife and kid, they got a decent screen time as well. It was a good episode for yeah. guest actors all around. Well, he just dominated. Yeah. You know, and I just, uh, the fact that I could identify with a single uh, one-shot character that strongly speaks to the writing and the acting. I, I was impressed. That's probably why I voted for it. Apart from the fact that I liked the episode, I thought it was very well done. It was. You think, hang on a minute, clip show, isn't it? You don't really realise that. Because the clips work so well with the ongoing story. My friend Paul C. said, it, before I watched it, I said, uh, it's a clip show, but it's not. It's not what you call a typical clip show. And I watched it, and I was like, ooh, shiny. <laughs> so yes, enjoyed and probably voted for, but I get the impression it probably only got three or four votes. Citizen Joe were written by Robert C. Cooper. Oh, sorry. Story by Robert C. Cooper, written by Damien Kindler. Directed by Andy Makita. Notable guest stars, obviously, Dan Castellaneta. And Deborah Thicker, or Thacker, as Charlene Spencer. Broadcast January the 18th, and it got four votes. Mm. And we get a happy ending. Mm. Well, You know, uh, how many times does uh, Joe try to make amends to his wife, and he, he goes totally off the deep end, mm. and finally, finally, he's General O'Neill. Mm -hmm. Pleased to meet your mom. <laughs> we need to talk. Yes, your husband's not that crazy. No. However, here's an inch thick chief of papers when he just signed first. <laughs> It would have used for an army robber. Yeah, yeah, why not? Say so now uh, Donis Davis and stationed at the SGC, they can have a full-time barber because he objected. <laughs> <laughs> He's no use to me, I don't want him. <laughs> it's like TNG with the barber. The only person that didn't go to him was the captain. Maybe you, maybe you got scalp wax. Yes, we're back to, uh, you know, polishing. So, Brad, what did you think? It's good to be king. Harry Mayborn's one song. Uh, good little way for him to go out. 
introduction of the puddle jumper SG1. Doesn't really answer a lot of questions about the time traveling jumper itself. It's a good little premise prophecy calendar, so to speak. And once again, we get to bag another system lord. Full alert, probably the weakest episode of the season. Uh, you don't mix your bad guys up. We've talked enough about that over the Facebook page. And it probably had one of the fastest conclusions to an episode in the uh, series' history. Citizen Joe, good little funny clip Joe. Although it's hard to believe Jack's been seeing those visions for the entire eight years. We do get a good guest star in Dan Castellano as Joe Spencer. And it's another good reason for him to go back and reuse some of the more expensive shots they've paid for during the series. Come try ya! Reckoning Part 1. The rebel Jafar gathered to storm the Temple of Dekara while Baal's fleet is battling Replicator's forces. Daniel is captured by her, seeking his buried memories of ancient secrets. Baal informs the SGC they need to stop Anubis from using an ancient weapon on Dekara which can destroy all life in the galaxy. All the groups converge on Dekara, but who reached the weapon first? Again with these two parters. Set up, set up, set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. Small bit of action, lots of set up, and you kind of left at the end of the episode thinking, and? They did pack an awful lot into this first half. At times you think, hang on, he's got, she's there, uh, okay, who's coming through the gate? Ah, right, didn't they have a spaceship? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a good day for owning a spaceship. Even Jack pointed it out. But we did get Jacob. Where's Daniel? We lost him as well. Oh, Danny boy. Yeah, he's been uh, tortured by, uh, well, someone he thinks is uh, Omar to begin with. Mm-hmm. Omar wouldn't torture people. She kind of just did the uh, metaphors and the uh, mm-hmm. deep, deep Zen-like discussion with him. Indeed. Bang-up episode for guest stars, though. Tony Amendola, Carmen Arzenziano, uh, Cliff Simon, Mel Harris, Isaac Hayes, Jeff Judge, Chris's brother, Dean Ellsworth... Shanti were doing uh, the voice of Thor. Martin Wood even made an appearance as Major Wood. <laughs> Major Wood, really? <laughs> Major Wood. Oh, uh, God. Why did I not spot that? <laughs> and his brother, Sirius, and his brother, Early Morning. <laughs> a good episode. A really good, solid first part of a two-parter. I can't really criticise it. You could argue maybe it was a bit overloaded with, as you say, the setup, but that paid off in the second. You don't have to criticise it, I just did. Oh, fair enough. Compliment my approach. We learn of the huge ancient weapon, you know, they, the ancients, they tend to do things big and no messing about. Leave them fully functioning and, you know. Well, they did leave it behind a very code. Turn it upside down. Ah, I can read it now. <laughs> yeah, isn't it obvious that the circly bits with the grooves around them might turn? <laughs> you, you, need, you need a fatal consequence for getting it wrong. You do really, don't you? <laughs> like that Jack L. Charco book. It was great stuff, you know. Bal and Anubis rushing towards Dakara, the Jafar looking to raid the planet and take over, because that's the symbol of their freedom. It's where they were first enslaved by uh, the gold. Mm-hmm. Just a solid episode. Written by Damien Kindler, directed by Peter DeLuise, broadcast January the 25th, and he got two votes. Hmm. You sound disappointed. You also sound surprised. I'm assuming you had these in front of you. Well, I'm acting, lovey. I'm acting. Uh. <laughs> lovey? My boss's boss the other day was on the phone to me and uh, just before he hung up, he said, I'll talk to you later, darling. And I kind of go, really? <laughs> I must point that out to him when I see him next week. Right. Come try ya! Part hey. Carter and Jacob calibrate the ancient's weapon to destroy the replicators. Mind probed by Replicator, Daniel recovers his buried memories and takes control of the replicators invading the SGC in the temple on Dakara. 
He's able to stop them long enough to let Jacob activate the weapon and finally destroy the replicators. That completely leaves out the fact that there's some wonderful, wonderful ball in this. So world weary and sort of uh, human. <laughs> yeah, having to deal with a human and a Tok'ra yeah. <laughs> who want his help. <laughs> and then, then the beauty of it, he gets distracted because the replicators are on board his ship. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go now. <laughs> It's action-packed episode. Even when there's talky bits, there's that much action going on elsewhere. Because this is a story on multiple fronts. The SGC is under attack by the replicators. Daniel is in full mind mode with the replicata. Yeah, I bet he is. Yep, there's a huge space battle in orbit. Very reminiscent, reminiscent of Star Wars. As we learned, Rob C. Cooper, big fan, and he likes the look of thousands of starships shooting at mm-hmm. each other in open space. Can't blame him. I like that as well. Apparently not open space, you know, because you can hear them shooting. But anyway. <laughs> well, perhaps the chip uh, computer puts that in because you've got to have the bing, bing, bing noise. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> pew, pew, that's it, yeah. <laughs> Everything's looking bleak. Everybody's going to lose until Daniel wrestles control of the replicators and they all stop and, everywhere. And then Carter gets upset and stabs him. <laughs> yes, poor Daniel. is dead again. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of thinking, what? Oh. oh, yeah, Crap. we forgot, of course. Oh, no, I'm not. That's next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a reference to Dead Like Him. <laughs> uh, yeah, who collects the souls of people that get stabbed by giant replicator swords? <laughs> going to be a fairly limited market. Yeah, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get my vote, though. No. Okay, then, Reckoning Part 2, written by Damien Kindler, directed by Peter DeLuise once again. Broadcast February the 1st, so not actually broadcast as a, a double feature, unlike the season opener. Brace yourself, this got 30 votes. Really? Yes. <laughs> so the rest of them? I don't think I'm going to surprise anybody by saying this was quite a ways ahead in the favourite episode of season 8. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Considering we've had episode 2, 3, 3, not 1, <laughs> 20, 30. Oh. Yeah. The Dakara superweapon replaced every bit of life in the galaxy, every little uh, organic molecule. And of course, if you're watching Atlantis hand in hand with this, that's how the ancients actually propagated all the species they created in Pegasus. Mm-hmm. So once again, they do things big, and as we learn, not always well. No. Oh, what do we get at the end? Braytac boards bullshit, has him cornered. Got you now. And what happens? <laughs> Zip. He's gone. He's run away. What did you wait to shoot? He wasn't waiting for a command. Well, Braytac, you were grandstanding a bit, weren't you? Mm-hmm. As I recall, I missed that bit. Yeah, they were fortunate. The fact that Bull actually did flee the battlefield was enough to uh, turn Jaffa, or public opinion, in their favour. Tens of thousands of Jaffa crossing lines and becoming free Jaffa. Oh. And, of course, as always, following any war of independence, you tend to get a civil issue. The very things which united them when they were battling the ghouls will now drive them apart. You've got time for little politics like that. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple of nominations. One for a Leo Award, Dramatic Series Best Visual Effects, and nominated for a Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Special Visual Effects for a Series. Mm. I really should look up what beat him, because if I was the Stargate producer, I'd be getting really pissed off. <laughs> Dear Michael, to be nominated is enough. No, it's not. <laughs> I get all dressed up and go to the award ceremony and just let it in there. Damn you. Holding the flowers are going bridesmaid again. Up next, the unofficial third part of this trilogy, Threads. With Anubis threatening the destruction of the galaxy, Daniel must decide whether to face death with his friends or accept Omidas Allah's help in ascending. 
Great Akintiok established a new Jaffa nation on Dakara. Carter and Jack deal with personal relationships and the loss of people important to them. Daniel and Omar are haunted by the Anubis, the Anubis, in his descended form. Yeah, but only for the last 10 minutes of a 100-minute episode. Well, wonderfully played by... George Zunza. Mm, yes, that. Yeah, ignore the Ds. <laughs> As Jim, you know, he, he walks into the diner where uh, Daniel and Omar... Omar is a waitress. Daniel just has the waffle-eating customer. Visited this place before, obviously can't remember because he had his mind wiped. But after, you know, no, everybody ignores Daniel. Oh, they're all ancients, they're all watching. Most of the watching me, says Omar. Mm-hmm. Because this is where she spends spends her spare time. Every time they let her go, she kind of helps someone ascend and think they're always rather annoyed, but never surprised when she does this. Mm-hmm. Tacit approval. And of course, Jim... Jim is very friendly to Daniel. You know, he's oh, always talking, always always happy. He keeps sending him in his paper. Mm-hmm. And the paper has the headlines of what's going on in the real world. Yep. You know, secret plan revealed. Anubis plans to attack Dakara. Absolutely inspired stuff, that is. And as we go along, Daniel slowly starts to put things together as uh, Jim let, lets a few things slip. And Omar does as well. Mostly to torture. Oh, yeah, yeah. As things move on a pace in the real world. The Jafar and Dakara, they make a tactical error. They know where Anubis's homeworld is, so they think, let's take most of our fleet and attack it. Unfortunately, Anubis isn't there. Mm-hmm. Him and his super soldiers have gone to attack Dakara. Oopsie. Yeah, feel sorry for the three Jafar who stayed behind thinking, thank God, a rest. <laughs> they all died. Oh. Not exactly the sort of promotional poster you want for live free, then die. Mm-hmm. Of course, Jacob, let's not forget Jacob. Selmak has been uh, slowly dying the past few weeks. Jake has been holding on. That's why uh, in the previous episode, every now and again you saw him kind of uh, grip something to steady himself and just say, oh yeah, I'm all right. No, just pressure and uh, not getting enough sleep. The bloke's dying. And they have a nice bedside scene as uh, he chats with Sam. Points out that thanks to Selmak, he had a number of years with her that he wouldn't have got. He mended his relationship with Sam and his son. Pretty fair trade-off. And poor Pete. Yeah. As Amanda Tapping said to me when I mentioned this to her, I just, uh, I didn't kill Pete, I just, you know, ripped his heart out and nailed it to a tree. As engaging gifts go is a little excessive. Well, not only that, you know, you really should see what your future wife would like in, in the house. Aside from you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, you, you can't build a mini gate in that. <laughs> yeah, on the bench in front of the house. She really did a number on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, dear. He did walk away. He got to uh, love another day. And let's not forget Claire Carey, the CIA operative, uh, who Jack was, uh, well, friendly with. Yeah, the character came along and, uh, okay, well, I, I've kicked Pete to touch. I basically put him in a situation whereby uh, he'll never want to talk to me again. And you're diddling the CIA operative. <laughs> no, I'm being debriefed, literally. Oh, God, that's off. Thank you. I was waiting for some response. Uh, part of my brain went, did he really go there? Yes, he did. <laughs> The episode wraps up in the Dead Like Me diner. If you've seen Dead Like Me, you'll recognise it straight away. The Waffle House. The Waffle House. Jeff actually pronounced it complete with German pronunciation, didn't he? The Waffle House. Anubis finally reveals himself. Well, to be honest, Daniel just finally put two and two together and figures it out. Because Jim's taking far too much pleasure in the destruction of the Jafar and the <laughs> imminent destruction of life everywhere. Because this is on a countdown, folks. Mm. And the great thing is, Omar, after God knows how many millennia finally does the one thing i think the ancients were always hoping she would do she sacrifices herself to stop clear up her own mess mm-hmm. she's never done that before anubis she made a mistake put him in the diner 
Daniel, they think she made a mistake. They put him in the diner, you know, and uh, this time preventing Anubis from doing anything by battling him eternally. Mm-hmm. And while she's battling him, he's got to battle her. And, well, Jack said throughout the entire episode, I don't believe Daniel's dead. Mm-hmm. I will never believe Daniel's dead. No. And what happens? Hello? <laughs> Did you hear that? Uh, interesting nod there. He glances briefly at the American flag before he ripped down the SG flag. There are limits. Stars and Stripes cannot be used to hide Daniel's junk. I'm sure there are quite a few female fans who really don't want Daniel's junk hidden. <laughs> or at least want an uncut version on the DVD. That's a point. They make this extended episode. There could have been so much more they could have put in. <laughs> Not that it interested me, but still. Well, that's it. You, got, you, want to go, you go with the flow and you make some people happy. Fair enough. Go for it. I want naked Carter. Which I had to wait until season three of Sanctuary for. <laughs> yes, the uh, water hose scene. Mm-hmm. Okay, then Threads, written by Robert C. Cooper, directed by Annie Mikita. Huge guest list. Huge. <laughs> Carmen Ozanziano, Tony Amendola, David Eloise, Mel Harris, George Zunza, Isaac Hayes, Cliff Simon, notable others. I'm not going to read them all that. Broadcast February the 8th, it got 17 votes, including mine. Ooh, 17. A close third. Yep. So, Brad, what did you think? Uh, the Reckoning three-parter, one, two, and threads. I think enough's been said on the episodes and on the Facebook page. Terrific three-part uh, little mini episode there. Probably doesn't feel as much of a series ender like Full Circle did with returning to Abydos, but they do tie up a lot of the loose threads. The Gould, the Replicators, some good one-liners, good character moments too, especially in Freds. Have a thought to yourself. I'd like to listen to a Star Trek podcast. That's different. I'm ready to irradiate your existing brain cells. Oh, how about one with an English host? T.L. Grey Hot. Or a news section. Accessing library computer data. Or one that can help you navigate for the latest Star Trek news. Can anyone remember when we used to be explorers? Well, not quite, but... Track News and Views will bring you the latest news with either review or discussion and a wide variety of co-hosts. Oh my. Don't accept anything less. And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. Track News and Views, iTunes, Stitcher Radio and on the Trek FM website. Other similar podcasts are but to be discouraged. <laughs> Mobius, part one. When Catherine Langford dies, Daniel inherits her collection. He finds a reference to a zero-point module, bracket ZPM, bracket, in a book about Ra in Egypt in 3000 BC. SG-1 used the ancient time machine to go back in time to retrieve the ZPM when their ship is discovered. They create a different future in which the SGC does not exist, and their alternate selves lead very different lives. Fun. Just fun. Even if it was one of my favourite Jack lines. Which is? Been shopping online, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, Daniel almost gets picked up at a funeral. Mm-hmm. Way to go. And I still say there was a Cyrus type of vibe about that one. That's maybe why he didn't, you know, follow it up. <laughs> yeah, not like, again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just saying, this, this didn't go so well for me last time. Yeah, excellent time travel episode. Well, the first part of a two-part, of course, season finale. Looking through all the uh, artefacts that Catherine Lankford bequeathed to him, Daniel comes across a book with a picture of a ZPM in it. Hannily lucky, that is. Not only that, the fact that they'd been, been in contact with Atlantis and they'd actually sent a picture of a ZPM. Mm-hmm. So they go looking for it, and, well, they find something a bit unusual. Yes. 
Geek Daniel and Geek Carter. Yes, that's uh, let's go back in time. The ZPM isn't there now, but we know when it was there. When it was there, 5,000 years ago, and we have a time machine. Nothing could possibly go wrong with this. No, don't know how to fly a time machine. Just think, 3,000 BC. And luckily they arrived probably a few years before the rebellion. There's a pyramid, there's a gate, there's Ra. Ra is happily killing his uh, subjects because they don't bring him enough trinkets. Mm -hmm. Although where all these peasants got the trinkets from in the first place, I have absolutely no idea. But Dilk dons the armour, walks away. A minute later, he comes back carrying the ZPM. Piece of cake. No worries. The actual mission, that part of the mission went very, very smoothly. Unfortunately, there's been a sandstorm, so the uh, the cloak bullet jumper is covered in a layer of sand. <laughs> That's an odd-looking dune. Even the Jafar back then were a bit suspicious of that. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? Jack, oh, we can fight our way out, but anything could happen if we fight our way out. Well, then we're going to stay here. And Daniel has a plan. Mm -hmm. And that's where the video camera and... I've got to say, I'm seriously impressed at the uh, not, the whole Nopic jar. Is it actually a stasis device? We've seen in previous episodes, there is a mild electrical charge associated with it when they stored a symbiote in it. Mm. I wonder if there is an element of gold technology in, in those jars. Possibly. Even in a sealed, could have made it a vacuum. But let's not worry about that. Of all the things to worry about, the, the status of a video camera. <laughs> like I say, things have changed. So Sam is kind of a, a researcher, you know, doing other people's uh, proofreading. Daniel is a, an English teacher to um, immigrants. It's what I might end up doing for the summer. <laughs> Not that I, de I can't imagine there's that many Swedes that don't already speak English, but our Finns. We're kind of left kind of going, oh dear. And Jack, of course, is cynical and he, he's done a crusty the clown. He's given everything up, walking on the boat. In the boat called Homer. And of course, it's absolutely hilarious when Daniel and uh, Sam go to visit him. Mm -hmm. He makes them put uh, life jackets on, on the boat, even though he's tied up in harbour. And we get the best Carter here of the entire series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she takes the life jacket off. <laughs> Beautiful. Conforms to, I think it was Jeff's rule of uh, Carter's hair getting worse as the series goes on. Since it failed to get worse, they had to sort of build up all the uh, hair in a, into a single episode. You know, she could have just unfastened it and taken it off that way without actually really drawing her hair. Yeah. Story by Joseph and Paul, and also Brad Ryan and Rob C. Cooper, written by Joe and Paul, directed by Peter DeLuise, guest stars David Hewlett, Donis Davis, Robert Wisden as Major Bert Samuels, he's back, Colin Cunningham as Major Paul Davis, he made a return, David Lewis, previously seen in Heroes as Dr. Cameron Belensky, Alessandro Giuliani as uh, one of the uh, natives from uh, 3000 BC, Ketep, better known as uh, Gator from Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Originally broadcast February the 15th, and it got a single vote. I see. Come try ya! Mobius, part two. As you want alternate timeline selves attempt to change the past in order to fix the future, taking the ancient time machine to Chillac to retreat Teal, hoping he'll join them. Forced by Apophis' forces to retreat to the past, they meet up with Toll's survivor Daniel, having launched the rebellion that deposes Ra and keeps the Stargate on Earth. About the only thing I remember from this, because I wasn't around the recording in part two, was the fact that Daniel's like, well, where's me? <laughs> yeah. So you convinced shot him. <laughs> <laughs> You're a ghoul. I had to kill you. Yes, thankfully, Jack returns to the SEC, mainly because Kowalski probably just gave him a phone call, asked him to come back, and then Pear do go back a long way, as we've seen in Children of the Gods. Yes. Does Kowalski get killed again? Yes. <laughs> For God's sake. Poor <laughs> Forger. How many times has he been killed at this point? <laughs> every, time, every time he appears in, in the series, anyway. He survived the film. 
He's just our dating character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Jack and Kowalski, they man the time jumper. Jack agrees that uh, Daniel and Sam should go along with them. The general agrees. Off they go to uh, Chulak. They immediately get captured. <laughs> oh, well. Meet Tilk. Tilk, of course, is first prime to Poffus, played by Peter Williams, who is wearing a, a fancy hat because he refused to... Uh, cut his hair. Mm-hmm. He had a, an impressive afro and he was not going to cut his hair just for one guest slot on one episode. Series regular? No worries, I'll cut my hair for that but not for a guest spot. No, I didn't know Yes, Daniel is interrogated, he gets implanted with a symbiote and gets sent back to be a spy so uh, Poffus can learn about Earth. Tilk shoots him, then all hell breaks loose, there's a running firefight through the forest, they escape in the jumper, they're under heavy fire, what shall we do, what shall we do? Did Tulok have a gate 5,000 years ago? Good, time travel! <laughs> They jump 5,000 years into the past to the gate on Chulak, appear on Earth 5,000 years ago. Job done. Mm. Apart from the fact that they accidentally vaporized several hundred slaves who happened to be standing in front of the gate at the time. Well, if those slaves don't know any better, they deserve everything they got. There's always more slaves. True. This is where the scene comes in where uh, SG-1, well, what's left of SG-1, <laughs> go uh, into the local encampment thinking, oh, well, nobody will know us here. And, Greetings! <laughs> yes, he speaks English. Daniel walks in and, he, of course, he asks, where am I? And that's when Dilk goes, I shot you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And we learned that the rebellion did take place. Well, it got crushed before it even could take place. Yes, which is why the rest of them were killed. Apart from Wiley Daniel. I'm not convinced Daniel wasn't killed, he just decided to be not dead again. <laughs> entirely possible Daniel was killed several times. <laughs> I'm uh, Daniel Lazarus Jackson. The problem was, of course, that the gate, when Ra learned about the rebellion, he took the gate. Mm-hmm. When they found the recording, there was no gate. And things kind of fell apart from there. Not to worry. Again, the second part, excellent time travel adventure. Convoluted enough to force you to sit down and watch it. A couple of things, you go, hang on a minute. Oh, yeah, it all makes sense. Lots of time travel stories in sci-fi don't make sense when you start jotting down what should happen and what shouldn't happen. But this does make sense. Except for the last bit, where there are no fish in my pond. And there never has been any fish in Jack's pond. But in this pond, there are fish. And as he says, close enough. What are you going to do? Jump through the gate again and and try to figure out what you did wrong? You can't, can you? If that's the only difference between this Earth and another Earth is that you've got fish in your pond. Don't worry about it. Yeah, close enough. Which is another Simpsons reference, but uh, Homer's ideal universe. Patty and Selma are dead. The kids are polite. He drives the Lexus. Marge, get me a donut. What's a donut? (laughs) Scream, scream, scream. Roll away. Oh, look, it's raining again. Okay, Mobius, part two, the season finale. Again, the story by Joseph, Paul, Brad and Rob. Written by Rob C. Cooper. Directed by Peter DeLuise. Notable guest stars this time, Peter Williams as Apophis and Jay Akavoni as Major Charles Kowalski. Benjamin Easterday as Ra's Jaffa Commander. Oh yeah, of course, General Hammond once again and David Hewlett. It's February the 22nd and it only got three votes. But it did get some nominations. It won... Yes, folks, it won the Leo for dramatic oh. series costume design. Congratulations to Christine Mooney, but you really would have hoped it won a bit more than that. But yeah. you can't knock an award, can you? You can. You sort of go. <laughs> At least I've got an award to knock. <laughs> so, Brad, what did you think? And finally, Mobius Part 1 and 2. Uh, it's good to see a little second take on the uh, Children of God story. The time traveling puddle jumper returns. Some things don't make sense, like why do they have to get SG-1 back together, go back in time, they didn't really need Tilt. Alternate reality, 
Jackson and Carter are good fun chemistry together. And the stuff on Jack's boat, the Homer, classic stuff. And it all wraps up with them fishing together once again on the pond. There are fish in the pond. And that was Season 8 of Stargate SG-1. Yes, it was. That was a strong season of SG-1. Although when you go through it, as we've just done, you know, episode bang, 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 you probably notice some of the weaker episodes more than you did watching weekly. Mm-hmm. Early on, there seems to be more episodes that don't quite hit the mark until we get to, say, uh, Rethus Unbound, then it's, and it's good to be King, Sister and Joe, Reckoning 1 and 2, Threads, Mobius, Mobius. Finishes very, very strong. It was planned to be the series finale as well. Makes you wonder if they were throwing everything at the uh, at the board and see what stuck. Don't leave anything out, because we ain't going to get a chance to use it again. So, Brad, what did you think? A lot stronger season than season seven. Um, a lot of good episodes in there. Some awesome space battles. CG's always top-notch character moments. And it leads into the natural progression that we'll see shortly in Season 9. So, yeah, that's me done for another week. Catch you all next week when I join Alan and Mike for the SGA Season 1 wrap-up. Bye. Thanks very much for that, Brad. And here's a wrap-up of the Stargate SG-1 Season 8 voting poll. Total votes for Stargate SG-1 Season 8. 94, our most popular poll ever. Thank you very much, everybody. We've got votes from individual countries, the US, UK, Australia, Japan, Ireland, Italy, France, Germany, Sweden and Canada. Popular episode, as you know, A Reckoning, part two, with 30 votes. Then Prometheus Unbound with 20 and Threads with 17. A few surprises, there were a couple of episodes I thought would have got one or two votes. When you only technically get one vote... Mm. Yes, Brad. Brad. <laughs> there are episodes, of course, that are going to miss out. And, of course, some of these episodes were two-parters. I bet people voted just for one. It would been probably better to combine them into a, a single episode. We always get a warm and fuzzy feeling when we get some feedback on the show, so if you'd like to send us something, then please do so. We'll endeavour to include it in the next show, or relevant show if that's more appropriate. You can email us, including an audio message, using gatecastpodcast at gmail.com. And we have groups and pages on both Facebook and Google+. You can search for us using the generic Stargate, or more specifically, Gatecast. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher Internet Radio, under Gatecast. And we simply swoon when we get an iTunes rating and review. They help the show get promotion on that service. Twitter seems to be popular, and you can find us at the Gatecast, which is one word. And finally, there is our main website, gatecast.co.uk, which has a variety of contact and links for keeping our Stargate family all together. Well, that's pretty much it, folks. Thank you for listening to the episode which is lost and alone and numerically absent. Thank you for joining us for the last season of uh, Stargate SG-1. I hope you join us for season 9. There are some major changes going on with Stargate. Some people liked them, some people didn't, but we'll be covering every episode and we'll let you know what we think. Yeah. Next week... The Atlantis wrap-up? Yeah. Even though we recorded the Atlantis wrap-up about two weeks ago... Next week, the Atlantis wrap-up. Yes, because, you know, it's a whole timey-wimey-wimbly-wobbly thing. Quite right, yeah. Hope you join us for that. See you next week. Take care, everybody, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Gatecast, hosted by Alan and Mike. Join us at gatecast.co.uk. Stargate forever. Bye-bye.